We've been talking for the last few weeks about what does it mean to be a United Methodist? It's a way for us to remember and celebrate the strengths of our heritage and the power of our identity as a congregation. We've talked about the centrality of grace. We've talked about the strong pull we feel toward tangible acts of service. And last week, Pastor Bellarmi shared so beautifully about the deep connection we have with United Methodists all over the world. So the last item that we're going to consider in this series is one that we may not really feel like celebrating today, especially on a day like today when goodbyes are the top thing on the agenda. But despite all of its pitfalls, and there are many pitfalls, trust me, I'm feeling all of the pitfalls in my heart right now today. Despite all of that, I really believe that the way that we move clergy from place to place, what we call the itineracy system, it's a gift to the church and it is a way that God brings to us amazing blessings. Now, the system that we use in the United Methodist Church for clergy deployment, it has its roots in the very beginning of Methodism. And this is a key part of what makes us different from other Protestant churches. Itineracy is core to who we are. Methodists have never been organized in any other way. And this system has evolved over a lot of years, but the fundamental, fundamental principles are the same. As one United Methodist historian explains, in a connectional system such as the United Methodist Church, the key question for any individual congregation or any individual clergy person is not, what's best for me? Instead, the question is, what's best for us? What's best for the whole connection? And the one who has oversight, the bishop, makes those decisions. In the New Testament Greek, the word for, for bishop is episkopos, which means the one who can see the whole picture. So in the earliest days of Methodism, the person making those decisions about what clergy served where, it was not a bishop, it was John Wesley, J-dubs, our founding father. He was always on the move. He himself traveled from town to town in England, setting up Methodist societies and preaching something like 40,000 sermon in his lifetime. I cannot even imagine that. But another historian tells us that John Wesley believed that itinerant preachers who moved from place to place were more effective than those who settled in, grew comfortable, and wore out what they had to say. In a letter to Samuel Walker that Wesley wrote in 1756, he said, We have found by long and consistent experience that a frequent exchange of preachers is best. This preacher has one talent, that another. No one whom I ever yet knew had all the talents which are needful for beginning, continuing, and perfecting the work of grace in a whole congregation. So Wesley moved his preachers around a lot. And this method of providing leadership for churches, it migrated with the Methodists to America. And here in the early days of our country, the traveling preachers were called circuit riders. And they had charge over a large swath of territory. It might have taken them five or six weeks to travel all the charges in their circuit, at which point they would just start over again. They traveled light. They carried their belongings and books in their saddlebags. They ranged far and wide. They, they preached at whatever site was available, a log cabin, a local courthouse, a meeting house in the forest. And unlike the pastors of settled denominations, like the Anglicans, Presbyterians, Lutherans, these itinerating pastors constantly on the move. At the end of the year then, the pastors would all gather with the bishop at annual conference and often be appointed to a new circuit. 
So Peter Cartwright, who was a Methodist pastor, he died in 1872. He described the life of a circuit rider in his autobiography. And he said, a Methodist preacher, when he felt that God had called him to preach, instead of hunting up a college or a biblical institute, hunted up a hardy pony and some traveling apparatus. And with his library always at hand, namely a Bible, a hymn book, and the Book of Discipline, he started, preached a text that never grew old, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. And in that way, he went through storms of wind, hail, snow, rain, climbed hills and mountains, traversed valleys, plunged through swamps, swollen streams, lay out all night, wet, weary, hungry, his saddle blanket for a bed, his saddlebags for pillow. This was an old-fashioned Methodist preacher, fair and fortune. No wonder hundreds of those preachers died. (laughs) Most before their careers had really begun. Seriously, of the 400 or so circuit riders that died while in active ministry up to 1847, nearly half of them were less than 30 years old. Many others were too worn out to travel. We have it so easy. (laughs) But this is our vocational heritage. This is our church culture that preachers travel from place to place, preach the word, offer care, celebrate the sacraments, and then move on and really leave the continuity of the ministry in your hands, in the hands of the laity. Uh, We change less frequently than we used to, of course. The process has slowed down a lot, but still we change more frequently than most any other Protestant denomination. The process is more consultative also than it used to be. Stories were told even from the 1950s and 60s that preachers would show up at annual conference and find out at the end of that meeting, during the bishop's reading, formal reading of the appointments, that's when they found out that they were going to move. It's rumor, but I've heard that even in Kansas, some years there was a long line at the payphone as annual conference dismissed, preachers calling home to tell their wives to start packing. Thank goodness we've slowed the process down a lot from the days of John Wesley and the American circuit riders, but the process is still basically the same. The bishop looks across his or her assigned territory, in this case Kansas and Nebraska, and decides who should preach where and who should pastor where for the greatest effectiveness of the whole conference. And then the bishop makes those assignments, and the pastors go. Now, I'm so thankful for the history and polity of the United Methodist Church. I'm also really grateful I don't need a horse to carry out my pastoral responsibilities. But I'm thankful for our history, our way of organization, because I think it's more than just a quirk of our denomination that keeps preachers on the move. I believe it reflects a deep biblical truth about the nature of ministry and our response to God. I mean, consider the scripture for the day. It's just one of many examples I could have used to illustrate how ministry fundamentally is this. God calls and then God sends. God calls and then God sends. This is what God does. God calls. At the beginning of our our passage, the verses just before what Irene read, all of the disciples are named. And we remember that by name, they were called by Jesus. They were called from their fishing nets or their tax booths. Jesus comes by and he says, follow me, and they do. 
And for a while, that's all they do. They follow Jesus. They listen to his teaching. They, they see how he helps and he heals people. They watch him confront the forces of evil. They begin slowly to understand his message and his purpose. And then just when they're starting to figure things out, he says following is no longer enough. And he sends them. He doesn't go along with them. He breaks them up into pairs, gives them instructions, and sends them out to do the same things that he has been doing. They're supposed to heal the sick and confront evil and proclaim the same message, the kingdom of heaven is near. The ones who were called are now sent. The disciples are sent to a place that God could use them. And God's love and God's good news and God's redemption is spread more widely than it ever could have been if they had just all stuck in one huddle with Jesus. The disciples get sent in ministry. But it's not just them in Matthew 10. It happens all through the Bible. God has this habit of calling people and sending them out to do God's work. It happened to Abraham. God says, go to the land which I will show you in Genesis 12. God did it to Moses. Go to Egypt and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. It happened to the prophet Isaiah. God said, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here I am, send me. It happened to Jonah. He was not happy about being sent. He wound up in the belly of the fish because of it. It happened to Paul. He was sent to the Gentiles. It happened to the disciples after the resurrection. Jesus said, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. There's just no denying it. In the Bible, in our life of faith, God calls and then God sends. Now, the United Methodist Church lives this out each and every time a preacher moves from one church to another. We have a sent ministry, and that's good. There's more, however, along with being a reminder of the biblical witness, there are some real advantages to having an itinerant pastorate. It means, for one, that matches happen between congregation and clergy that might be a surprise to both of us. I mean, take us, for instance. Guys, I had never heard of St. Paul's Papillion until January of 2019 when I read the news in the conference newsletter that Pastor Nancy, my predecessor here, I read that she had been appointed to a district superintendent. Now, it just so happened that I was at a meeting a few days after that announcement, and walking into the building one day, I saw Chad Engelmeyer, the Omaha area DS, and I was like, oh, hey, Chad, you know, that church, St. Paul's, that Nancy's coming from, I don't know anything about it. Tell me something about it. Why did I ask that question? I don't know. The Holy Spirit does weird stuff like this, okay? So Chad told me all about how great you all are, and then a week later he called me and asked if I would come serve as your pastor. What a surprise! <laughs> I was in no hurry to leave the place I was in in Kansas City. We were having a great time, but you needed a pastor, and so I came. Maybe some of you were unsure about some random girl from Kansas that you had never heard of, let alone heard preach. <clears throat> but instead of having, oh, and also, I was 42 at the time, the, young, <clears throat> the youngest pastor that you had had in quite a long time. But instead of having a long search process, as happens in some churches, instead of argue, arguing with one another about whether or not I was qualified and then everybody voting together to see if I could come, we didn't do any of that. You just accepted me and we all waited to see what would happen together. If it had been up to you and me, I don't really know that this match would have happened. But the bishop knew more than we did, and it has been wonderful. 
I have been thankful a million times over in the last four years that I have had the chance to be your pastor. Now, take the improbability of my appointment times 100 and we get Pastor Malarmi Malosi. <laughs> I feel certain if not for the itinerant system, this young Congolese pastor would have never walked in the door here. He would have looked at the annual snowfall amount in Papillion and said, no, thank you. <laughs> but the bishop sent him and he came and how he has blessed us, how he has blessed us. Now, your next pastor is going to be different from us. He's going to bring his own history and experience and skills, and he's being sent here, just like God always sends in ministry, and you're going to have the opportunity to grow as a congregation and grow as individuals during his time with you. And eventually, he'll be sent somewhere else, just like I'm being sent, and the pattern will continue. God calls, and then God sends. This is a basic imprint for ministry. Now, when I look at the instructions that Jesus gives the disciples in Matthew 10, I'm reminded of one other important thing, and that is that ministry doesn't automatically and it doesn't universally work just because God is the one that sends us. Jesus doesn't promise the disciples that they will be welcomed equally with open arms in every place. Instead, Jesus says, if anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust from your feet as you leave that house or town. So as amazing and as fruitful as my ministry here has been, my time here has been, I'm aware that just like with every church, there have been some rough spots. I have disappointed some people or not been the kind of pastor that you wanted. In every appointment I have had, I have done or said some hurtful things to some people. And if I know about it, I can try to make amends. Sometimes I know about it, and sometimes I don't know about it. And so if that's you... If our relationship has been a hard one, if I have hurt you in some way, I just today want to offer an apology. I'm sorry and ask for your forgiveness. And I trust in God's ability to reconcile and heal, and I pray today that your next pastoral relationship will be a really meaningful one. Now, I don't want you to leave this morning thinking that this business about being called and being sent is all about me, because it's not. Being sent for ministry is, just not, is not just a part of being uh, ordained. It's also a part of the Christian life. It's fundamental to the nature of discipleship, which means it's as much as part of your world as it is a part of mine. Now, I don't expect the fact that God sends you out in ministry means you're going to have to sell your home and move to a new place, though I don't rule it out. I don't know what God can do. But perhaps God has some place far away to send you. But even if you don't need to move, God is sending you out in ministry to do the same things the disciples did, to heal the sick, to confront evil, to proclaim the news that the kingdom of heaven is near. It happens for all of us actually at the baptismal font. We're washed by grace and then we're sent out for ministry. It happens for all of us at the communion table. We're nourished by the body and the blood, and then we are sent out to minister in Jesus' name. It happens for us wherever we are. God sends us out to encounter people who need to hear of and experience God's love. In the United Methodist Church, when someone is ordained, the bishop hands the person a Bible and says, Take thou authority. Those are the words. And it's important that the bishop does that. But the real truth is that pastoral authority doesn't come from the bishop. It comes from the people that we are sent to serve. 
Pastoral authority is only so real as people let someone be their pastor. So today, what I most want to say is thank you. Thank you for letting me be your pastor. Thank you for letting me baptize your babies and pray with you in your hospital rooms. To think with you through your questions about God. To thank you for letting me officiate at the weddings of your children. For praying with me over the bread and the cup and letting me hand you that gift of God's grace at communion. Thank you for... for letting me bury your loved ones. Thank you for surviving a pandemic with me. (laughs) Oh my gosh. For being flexible and being open and, and figuring out beautiful ways to be the church together, even when the whole world was upside down. Thank you for caring for me when I was so sick with vasculitis for surrounding Matt and me with so much love and care and encouragement. Especially when when our families couldn't come. You all, you were family to us. And we won't ever forget it. Thank you for letting me be your pastor. I count it as nothing but privilege. Friends, God calls and God sends. And we are blessed to follow the path of the Holy Spirit. So may God bless you, St. Paul's. In the season to come, you will be in my prayers. You will be in my heart. Amen.